We're picking up right where we left off last week with Jesus feeding the 5,000. After he feeds those 5,000, he goes off by himself. And the disciples grab a boat and they they start heading back across the sea. Uh, We're going to be reading today from John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. I'll ask you to please stand as we read this gospel reading this morning. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You know, if I were a pastor in a place somewhere other than Oregon, I think I would have to work a lot harder at preaching this week. (laughs) You know, for instance, if I was a pastor in the desert somewhere, in Las Vegas, I think I would have had to work really hard to strategize and illustrate what it's like to be on wind and waves. And I would have had to to work really hard and plan out how I was going to relate to the modern mind, how how maybe, just maybe, we haven't conquered nature yet. And a a natural disaster, a natural storm like this one is just moments away all the time. I think I had to work really hard at that. And and by the way, this is what preachers think about during the week. You know, I preached on this text before um, while I was in school. So I was preaching to a congregation in Wisconsin. And my thought was, how do I relate this to a group of people whose idea of a large body of water might be a, a body of water that you can swim across pretty easily and that you can touch the bottom for a lot of the time? How do you relate? How do you... Help them to to empathize with the fear that the disciples were feeling in that boat. But you know, I don't think I have to do that with you because you guys are Oregonians and you understand the power of nature, right? That was one of my first lessons when I arrived here. Just a few months after I arrived in Oregon, we had that epic wildfire season where our skies turned black. We understand what it's like to have that unstoppable natural force so near us. And filed way back in the back of our minds, we know that at any moment the Cascadia Fault could shift and that a tidal wave could reach all the way as far inland as Portland to sweep away what's left of our city after the earthquake. And we know the Oregon coast, right? We know the brutal 
beauty of the Oregon coast. We know that loud slap of the waves against the rocks of the beach. We know how breathtakingly cold that water is. We know the roaring sound of the, of the waves, even on the calmest day. We, some of you might even know what it looks like when a king tide pushes the tide up into the city. I mean, we also, even on the best of days at the beach, we know what it's like to hear on the news about the people who, who didn't respect the wind and the waves of the Oregon coast and and lost their life. And so I'm glad I'm an Oregon pastor because I don't think I have to spend a good chunk of the sermon convincing you that the wind and the waves are dangerous. There is fear in them. And I get to move right to the heart of the sermon. The part where we start to notice what Jesus does with the storm. And what does Jesus do with the storm? You know, it would seem like he does nothing, really. You can read through this account, and John doesn't really mention what Jesus does about the wind and the waves. That's not what this miracle is about. It's not about Jesus calming the storm this time. And and that was interesting to me. Because it brought to mind that this is kind of a unique miracle. Normally when Jesus does a miracle, he's doing something for someone else. He's giving someone something. But it doesn't seem like that's what he's doing by walking on the water. Normally he's giving life. Normally he's giving sight to a blind person. Normally he's giving food to eat to hungry people. He's giving health to sick people. But what he seems like he's doing here is he's just making a divine shortcut for himself. He's finding the easiest way from point A to point B, God's shortcut across the lake. That's what it seems like. That's what it looks like Jesus is doing. And I am putting extra emphasis on that word looks. It looks like that's what Jesus is doing. Because I think that this is what John is doing for us. He wants us to see Jesus walking on the water. He wants us to see Jesus walking on a surface that functions in no way like a sidewalk. And he wants us to see Jesus treading on something that is far less firm than the ground that we walk on. He wants us to see Jesus walking on a stormy sea. Do you see that? And... And I mean, if you do see that, then, then you'd think that there would be joy in this. That's what you'd think, right? you think there would be joy for the disciples. You know, they're toiling away. Mark tells us that, that they have been toiling for a long time. He says that Jesus walks on water to them at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And John tells us that they get into the boats in the evening. So depending on what those hours are, they've been working for eight hours. And you'd think that when they see Jesus coming towards them, they'd throw their oars up into the air and say, Finally, we can stop paddling. 
Finally, we can rest. Finally, we can know that we're going to be safe and that we're going to reach the shore. Or at least you'd think that that they'd talk to Jesus and at least welcome him into the boat. But, but, But what do they do? They see Jesus approaching and they get terrified. And they hunker down in their boat. And I'll share this with you. I I was stumped by this this week. I was stumped by this. Why were they so afraid? Why in the world were Jesus' disciples afraid of Jesus? They are his disciples. They're with him all day, every day. They know what his face looks like. And yes, I know that it was a storm. And it was the middle of the night. And there was probably flashing lightning. And that would have been scary. But they know what he looks like. And they know what he's capable of. And they know that he had gone to be by himself and they probably knew he was going to catch up with them at some point. And I mean, this thought entered my mind too. I mean, the the disciples had already been in in a boat like this one on this sea in a similar storm and Jesus had gotten up among them and had calmed the storm with his voice. You know, I tried to empathize with their fear. I tried to sit myself in that boat, but in my mind, I'm always thinking to myself, if I'm in that boat, I'm looking over my shoulder, just waiting for Jesus to come walking on the water to take care of me. It stumped me. Why are the disciples so afraid? It's because in that moment, they did not see Jesus. What they saw in that moment was a power that was other. Unexplainable and unnatural. The power that they perceived in that moment was so inexplicable, unmanageable, and impossible that the only thing that they could do was become afraid of it. All they could do was look at it and say, that's not real. Matthew and Mark, they actually record that the disciples thought that Jesus was a ghost. They weren't seeing Jesus. They were seeing his power, and they were afraid of it. And I think that's kind of telling. No, I think that's actually really telling about us. The disciples saw Jesus disobeying the laws of nature, and they were totally unsettled by it. And I think that's really telling about the things that we fear. You know, what is it that threatens us most in our hearts? I think we've learned a lot, maybe just in the last couple years, about what truly unsettles us the most. I think we've learned that what truly unsettles us and threatens us the most in our hearts is not the actual wind and waves of our lives. 
You know, we know how to manage those. We know how to handle those. We know how to navigate those. And the thing that disturbs us and threatens us most in our hearts are not the new challenges that confront us as we navigate those wind and waves. We know how to take those on as they come too. So what is it? What is it that threatens us the most? What is it that threatened the disciples in that boat that night? What threatens us the most is finally realizing that we are not in control of the wind and waves. What terrifies us the most is that we are not the Lord of our lives. We are not the Lord on our seas. That's what freaked out grown men that night. That's what terrified, experienced fishermen on the sea. That's what keeps people up at night. That there is a power so huge, so immense, so unmanageable to us, so outside of what we can affect that we recognize that we are not the true power in what happens for us. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, can't you see that in your own life? We'll use this metaphor of wind and wave, and I'll keep running with it here. When a hurricane force wind of a job loss blasts into your boat, what do you do? You know, it might seem that there's only one thing you can do. Put your head down and keep paddling because that's how you get out of a storm. And when a tsunami of a medical crisis breaks over you and brings flood after flood with it, what do you do? You keep paddling because that's all that we feel like we can do. And when a flash flood of of a relational loss, a relational failure floods all over you, what do you do? The only thing that you can do, you keep on paddling. And why do we keep on paddling? It's because paddling gives us that little semblance of comfort that we are making a difference in where our boat is going. And I'll tell you when that fear really happens. Fear happens when we realize that the wind and waves are truly outside of our control. And I'll tell you when terror happens. Terror happens when we realize that there is something other on top of those wind and those waves that are so outside our control. And I don't think I'm overstating this. No, I don't think I'm speaking outside of what the text is saying here. I think this is what John wants us to realize about ourselves and then wants us to realize about Jesus. You see, he pairs down a lot of the details in this account. He gives us kind of the bare bones account of what happened on that lake. No, we can read the accounts from Matthew and Mark, and John doesn't mention these details that the, 
For example, that the disciples thought that Jesus was a ghost. And John doesn't record that after the disciples found out that it was Jesus, Peter called out to Jesus and said, Hey, I want to walk on water too. And he gets out of the boat, walks for a second, and then he gets afraid and he starts sinking into the water. John doesn't record that. And he pairs it down to just a few details so that all you see is what he wants you to see about Jesus. All he records is Jesus coming to his disciples, and when they are afraid, he records Jesus saying, It is I. Don't be afraid. All John does is he lets Jesus reveal to his disciples who it is that is walking on their wind and on their waves. Do you see what this is? This is just grace. It's grace. And grace is undeserved love. Jesus came to his disciples who were afraid of him and he comes to them and and he comforts all of their fears. He says, don't be afraid, it is I. It's just grace. It's just comfort for the afraid. It's just confidence for the doubter. It's just grace. Jesus knew the hearts of his disciples. He knew how real their fear was. He knew that their faith was weak in that moment. And he gives them everything that they would ever need for any moment of fear. It is I. And that's all that John needs us to know about the wind and the waves in our lives. All he needs us to know is that Jesus is walking on. And you know, I, I think it's significant that Jesus is walking on water. He's walking on water calmly, authoritatively. Now, Jesus didn't run on water. And he didn't just teleport to the boat. He could have done that. That probably would have been more efficient transportation for him. And he could have swum to the boat, still showing authority over the wind and waves. But Jesus chose to walk on water. And what does walking on water show? It shows complete calm and control in a desperate situation. It shows authority over the wind and wave that it's not acting like it probably should naturally. And walking on something also shows dominance over it, right? You're walking on the water because it serves you. 
And that's what this miracle is here to show you. This miracle is here to show you that Jesus has power, authority, control, even dominance over everything scary and uncertain that is in your life. Do you see that? Jesus has dominance over the things that are dominating your heart. Jesus has control over the things that are outside of your control. You see what Jesus is doing here. This is Jesus showing you that he scares the things that you are scared of. Jesus terrorizes the things that are your terrors. Jesus walks all over the things that scare us most. And here's the best part. Jesus didn't just walk on water to show you that he has control over the little things in life for you. He showed himself walking on water to show you that he has the power and that he has already walked all over your biggest storm. The storm of sin. He walked into that storm for you and it couldn't touch him. And he walked all over it and he defeated it the moment that he walked right out of his grave alive. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the devil for you and showed that he walks all over it for you. Do you see that? I pray that you do. My pastor's heart really prays that you see that today. Because when you see that Jesus has already walked all over sin and death and the devil for you, that's when every other storm in your life is going to start to seem like nothing. When you see the power of Jesus to walk on the wind and the waves, walk all over them. When you see the power that is so other, so unimaginable, so impossible for us to attain. When you see that Jesus is walking all over the wind and waves for you. That's when even our biggest storms are going to seem like nothing more than a Portland drizzle. That's when instead of worrying in the midst of a storm, you're going to start to worship. Because you know that Jesus is walking on that water in your storm. There's a detail here that I think is so amazing. And I had forgotten this detail. When the disciples saw that it was Jesus who was walking on the water, they welcomed him into their boat. And John records us that when Jesus got into the boat, they were immediately at the shore. Immediately. 
without a single paddle stroke. They were there. I'll encourage you this morning to set down your paddle and get quiet in your boat. Jesus is walking on the water. And even though your ocean might still seem choppy and though that boat might still seem small, you can have peace on your seas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know if we are a disciple that has a hard time admitting that we are not Lord on our sea. Lord, you know if we're a disciple that has a Lord on our sea that's not you. Lord, the greatest miracle that you're working today is the miracle of faith. Faith that sees both your power and your grace. Faith that looks at a power outside of us and sees that this power is good and this power is for me. Lead us to this power today. Lead us to trust that you are the Lord on our seas. Amen.